It's great to see you today. We're in part three of our series on the miracle of mercy. We're doing a campaign together. We invite you to be here, of course, every Sunday morning, but come on Wednesday nights. We watch the video on Wednesday night, then we discuss it to make it deeper into our lives. So the idea is, if you're spending daily time focusing on this, if you're spending Wednesday nights discussing it, and Sunday mornings hearing a message on it, it's more apt to sink into your daily life. Because the whole point isn't just to learn something. The whole point is for it to change the way that we live. That's the whole point of the Word of God. So on part three of the miracle of mercy, I want to talk about how we're imperfect. We're imperfect people. We live in an imperfect world. So we need mercy. I need God's mercy because I blow it. And with Jesus... He had two really good friends that blew it big time. One was Judas. He betrayed Jesus. And then Peter denied Jesus. It's sort of the same type of sin. It's a different expression of it. And because Judas blew it and never turned to God for mercy, he carried all that guilt to the point that he committed suicide. And because Peter turned to God... For mercy, he was able to get through it, where he actually felt forgiven and later on became the leader of the church. Now, if anybody doesn't deserve to be the leader of the church, you think it's him. He's the one that denied Christ, and yet he becomes the leader. They both blew it. The difference is what did they do with what they, you know, because you're going to blow it. What are you going to do when those times happen? We blow it in life. I want to first look at what caused the failure for Peter's life so that we can learn from this. Because these type of things, these three things I'm going to look at can cause financial failure, business failure, marriage failure, relational failure. Number one, we fail because we overestimate our strength. We really think that we're strong enough to handle it. On these verses, I put the whole passages, and you can see your verses are double. That doesn't mean the sermon's going to be twice as long. I might skip through some of the verses and get to the main parts, but I have it all there for you. But in Matthew 26, Jesus said, Tonight every one of you will desert me. Then I'm jumping down a bit. Then Peter boasted, But Lord, even if everyone else fails you, I will never deny you. Jesus replied, Peter, the truth is that before this night is over and before the rooster crows at dawn, you will deny knowing me three times. They all said, by the way, that they would never deny him. Three times, Peter's going to deny him after saying, there's no way I would ever do that. What's he doing? He's overestimating his strength. He thinks he's good enough. He thinks he's strong enough. I can handle this on my own. Businesses fail when we overestimate our strengths. Battles are lost when we overestimate our strengths. Students flunk out of school when they overestimate their strength. Spouses fell in their marriage when they overestimate their strength. Oh, it was just a little flirtation. I, I can handle this. That doesn't mean I'm going to give in. But they overestimate their strength. When someone thinks that they're beyond messing up, that's when you set yourself up to be messed up. Because if I feel like it's something I would never do, then I can play around with it a little bit. 
thinking, but uh, I would never give in, and play around a little bit more, and then before you know it, you messed up. That's his problem. He overestimated his strength instead of relying on God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think I am strong, I can handle this, I would never fall for that temptation, then be careful, for you could easily fall too. It's when you're overconfident that you're most likely to mess up. We think that we're stronger than what we are. In battle, sometimes soldiers will be in an area and they'll feel like, oh, we have such a stronghold here. They would never attack us here. They're so confident, so what do they do? They put the guard down. They're relaxed. Some signs start saying like they're coming here, but they don't, they don't see it because they're so confident that they're not even looking for the enemy. And then, boom, the enemy hits them at their strongest point and wins. Because once you think, oh, we're so powerful at this point, there's no worries here. That's when you're susceptible for failure. You're setting yourself up because you'll put your guard down. Number two, here's what Peter did. We fear the disapproval of others. Every time you make a decision based on what will everybody else think, what would they think about me? You're apt to make the wrong decision because you're not asking, what would God think? You're thinking, what would my parents say? What would my friends think? Would they make fun of me? But you're worried about the wrong people. In Matthew 26, 58, and 69 through 70, Peter followed Jesus at a distance to the courtyard of the high priest's palace. There's a problem right there. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. That's what a lot of people want to do. That's our failure. We want to follow Jesus at a distance. I believe, but at a distance. I don't want people to identify me with him too much. They might make fun of me if they find out that I really believe in Christ. They might look at me strange. So I'll follow him, but at a distance. That's where his mistake was. John, the disciple, followed him to the cross. He didn't hide out. He wasn't ashamed. He was willing to die if that's what it took. He followed him all the way to the cross while everybody else was keeping distant for fear that they would connect them together. I believe him, I like him, but I want to keep a distance between Jesus and I because of what everybody else will think. As he was sitting in the courtyard, a servant girl came up to him and said, you were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? But standing there in front of everyone, Peter denied it. I don't even know what you're talking about. So he starts denying him. After being with him for three years, after seeing all the miracles, all of a sudden, he's concerned about what people think about him. If they think Jesus is a bad person, but I really like him, I'm so concerned about what they think about me now. So I keep my mouth closed, and I act like I'm not connected to him at all. He was struggling with being a people pleaser. He was too worried about what everybody else thought. This isn't the only time he did this. This is a character flaw that he had because later on when he was the leader of the church, Paul had to rebuke him because as Jewish leaders started being connected to the church, he started thinking, Jews don't like to associate with Gentiles. I better not hang out with my non-Jewish friends because I don't want them to think bad of me. And he actually did that. And Peter had to rebuke him to his face in front of everybody and call him a hypocrite. So it's not the last time that Peter struggled with this. He even struggled with it after he was the leader of the church later on, being a people pleaser. 
it's something that you might struggle with over and over again. What God is saying is, you're setting yourself up for failure if you're worried about what people think. You need to worry about what God says and what God thinks. We should never be ashamed to be associated with Christ. There's a lot of people that march for things that they should be ashamed of. But we should never be ashamed to be associated with Christ. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Some people don't want to be associated with certain Christian groups because they feel that those Christian groups present themselves in a negative way. Well, maybe that's wisdom probably. There are some Christian groups that present themselves in a way that you don't want to be associated with. But we should never be ashamed to say that I follow Jesus, that I believe in Jesus. You know, what did Jesus teach? Love your neighbor, love God. You know, what did he do? Don't cringe at criticism. It doesn't really matter what other people think. Why do we give them so much power over our life? It matters what God thinks. And until we get to that point, we will find ourselves compromising in areas because of other people. And so even compromising areas that I know I shouldn't do this, but I don't want to make a stand because I don't want them to think I'm weird or make fun of me. Why do we give them so much power in our life? I think sometimes we have hidden wounds from the past, maybe feeling rejected, maybe having unmet needs, and this pain causes us to want people to like us more than what's right. It's okay for some people not to like you. Not everybody likes Jesus. Not everybody likes Jesus. And you know what? A person that's not going to like you because of your faith probably doesn't like you anyway. Right? Because why would they do that? And I'm going to say the reverse of this. I want to present it in this way because in Christian realm, sometimes there's a problem here. We're called to love everybody, right? If I don't love somebody because of their lifestyle, I'm going to use homosexuality as an example because that's what you see on the social media a lot. If I don't love somebody from their lifestyle, then I didn't love them anyway. And the Bible says that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors ourselves. So if someone's in some sort of practice that you might disagree with, you might think, I don't think that's right, you love that person. We don't have a choice. We love people. No matter who they are, no matter where they are politically, we love people. It doesn't matter who they are and what they're doing. If I don't love them, I'm really not a loving person. I don't pick and choose who I love. We love everybody. Now, you might disagree with something they're doing. You might disagree with somebody's politics, and you love them, right? Because it's part of who we are as people. As a follower of God, we love people. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, it's a dangerous trap to be concerned with what other people think of you. But if you trust the Lord, you'll be safe. It's a trap. It's dangerous when you're concerned about what everybody else thinks. You want to be concerned about what God thinks. Number three, we speak without thinking. When we speak without thinking, that's where we're going to mess up. This is probably my number one way that I'll mess up of these three, is I'll speak without thinking. I'll 
put my mouth in motion before I put my mind in, in gear. To me, the tongue is so hard to control. I don't know if you feel that way. Like you say something, then you regret it later, and you think, why did I say that? Have you ever done that? It's, it's probably the easiest one to do. And yet, a mark of maturity is to govern your mouth. Little kids, have you seen little kids, three, four years old? They'll just say whatever. You know, they're blunt. They don't have any filter. They don't know. And they just say it, and it can be so insulting. And, but they just say it because that's what they... A sign of maturity is you learn how to govern your mouth. You know, you learn how to have a filter. You don't just say everything on your mind because you don't know if that's going to hurt their feelings. But it's immature people that say what's ever on their mind. I say that because I meet people that are proud of the fact that they say, well, I just say what I believe. Well, that's not wisdom. That's sometimes the worst thing that you can do. That's going to chase away friends. You're going to hurt people's feelings. So you have to guard your mouth and think, in this situation, is this what I should say? Or should I think it through and say it differently? Because you can say what's on your mind and cause devastation between people and lose friends, people that you want to have a connection with. Matthew 26, 71 through 74. Then Peter went out to the entrance of the courtyard, and there another woman saw him and said to those standing there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. So it's the second time. And Peter denied it. And this time he swore an oath and said, I don't even know that man. But after a while, the man who had been standing there came over to Peter and said, we know that you are one of them because your Galilean accent gives you away. <laughs> Peter lost his temper and started cursing and swearing. He shouted, I don't know the man. And then immediately he heard a rooster crow because Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. When someone starts swearing, like they get angry, they get emotional, they, they're not thinking rational. They're letting their mouth go in motion before their mind is in gear. That's what he starts doing. The mouth is hard. Look at James 3, 5, and 6. The tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Just as a tiny spark can burn up a great forest, which is amazing. One little spark and it causes that. The tongue is a flame of fire. The tongue does the same thing. One little thing said wrong, and then the social media goes crazy. That part of your body is full of wickedness and can poison everything else in your life. Wow. That part of my body, my tongue, can poison a relationship. Have you ever said something that you regret, and because you said it, the friendship is over and you can never get the friendship back? That's happened to me before. I said something, and then it ruined the friendship. Have you ever said something, and because of what you said, the deal was called off? Okay, we made a decision. We're going elsewhere. Have you ever said something that you regret, and it changed what was a future dream of yours, and it changes? Your tongue can ruin everything. Your tongue can be so damaging to others and to you. So we all mess up. We all mess up. Next in your notes, what should I do when I do fail? There's three things that Peter did. Number one, he grieved. He grieved the failure. In other words, he didn't try to minimize it. Don't pretend like, oh, 
what I said wasn't that bad. Don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. Don't make excuses. Don't play it down. Because if you do that, you'll probably never change. And you'll keep down that path and you'll hurt other people and cause bigger problems. Grieve the loss. Grieve over what happened. Because grieving is part of that process that helps you to change. Where you actually, instead of trying to act like everything was fine, you actually admit, like, I blew it. And grieve over that. Don't sweep it under the carpet and act like it didn't happen. And go on. It's grieving over it that helps you to ponder what happened so it doesn't happen again. Matthew 26, 75. When Peter heard the rooster crow, he remembered that Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Then Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Circle wept bitterly. He was grieving. He had seen Jesus do miracles. He had seen how much Jesus loved him over that three-and-a-half-year period. All that relationship there. And then he denies him. How can I turn my back on him when he needed me the most when he was on the cross? Later on, when Jesus died, Peter thought it was over. He didn't know that he was going to rise again. His faith wasn't at that point. He just thought it was over, and he was suffering with guilt. Like, this guy who was the best friend I ever had to me, no one cared for me like this guy. And when he needed me the most, I turned my back on him. It ruined Peter. He was suffering over that. He had to throw himself on the mercy of God because there was nothing else he could do to, to change that. If you don't grieve, if you don't deal with it personally in a way that it hurts you to think about, what did I do here? Here's what happens. You'll take the same old you into that new marriage. Things don't get better. You take the same old you into that new job. And you're going to have the same problems. If you take the same old you into that new goal, you're going to have the same problems. You take that same old you into that new dream. Because you didn't change. You didn't learn from your mistake. Therefore, the future is going to be just as bad. The greater the failure, the more time it takes to really get through that. Here's what David wrote when he committed adultery in Psalm 51. The sacrifice God wants is a broken and contrite spirit. God will not reject a humble and repentant heart. After committing adultery, you can maybe think that he would say, God would never forgive me. But he was broken. He was contrite. He became humble and repentant. And God forgave him. God forgave him. Was it good what happened? No. Were there consequences from what happened? Yes. But, it hit, but his contrite spirit brought him to forgiveness, and God could still use him. Number two, let my Christian friends support me. What happens is when we go through hard times, sometimes we isolate ourselves. That's the worst thing you can do. There needs to be some people in your life to support you. In Mark 16, 10, this was on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene went and found the disciples together grieving and weeping. Circle the word Together, they were supporting one another. We need that. There's a reason why she didn't go out and find them all separated, grieving separately. Specifically, they came together and were grieving 
together. Why? They needed one another. You need to have a support group because in life you're going to grieve. It might be over an illness. It might be over a relationship. There's all kinds of reasons why we're going to grieve. You need to have a support group. You don't wait till you're in the middle of a problem and then try to get a support group together. You're too emotional at that time. The support group is made at a healthy moment. You're building friendships that you know when you're going through hard times, you know what family members you can turn to, you know what friends you can turn to. You have to have that type of network. If you don't, you're going to suffer alone and you're going to make the wrong decision because when you're emotional, you tend to make bad decisions. You need people that aren't emotional there with you to help guide you so you don't make a fool of yourself because it will happen. In John 20, 19 and 20, this is Easter night. That evening, the disciples were together. There again, they're still together. With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, suddenly Jesus appeared in the middle of the group. Suddenly Jesus appeared in the middle of the group. And this is, there's a lesson in that. When you grieve together or when you have a support group and you're together, that's where Jesus appears. It didn't say they were all separately isolated that evening of Easter. There's something significant about them grieving together in the morning and then them being together in the evening when he appears. Jesus appears when you're together. I've seen it over and over again where, like, for example, Wednesday night, we're together and we're discussing something and somebody will say something and Jesus will speak to me through that. That it wouldn't have happened if I was isolated. I would have never even thought of it. But someone would say it, and I think, oh, wow. Because Jesus appears to you when you're with other people. I'm not saying you can't get anything from time alone with God. But I'm just telling you, if there's 10 of us discussing something, I'm going to pick up some stuff that I would never get anywhere else because we're together. I'm sure you've been in situations where you're with other people, and Jesus appears, you know, he speaks to you through those other people. That's the way he appears to you. You see Jesus through what they've said, through something that you've learned from other people. There is so much we have to learn from other people that we need that togetherness. In John 20, 26, a week later, the disciples were together again, meeting in a home. They were together again. There it is. They were building a support group. They were relying on one another. We need people in our life. You were never meant to be a lone ranger Christian. Never do it. Never be the Christian that you say, this is my own personal relationship with God. Hogwash. Hogwash. Where do you see that in the Bible? It's hogwash. I have my own personal. No. It's like this. You have collective worship. You see that in the Bible. You have uh, small groups meeting together. And you have personal time. It's all three. Worship is threefold. Personal, small groups where I can discuss things, and corporate worship. You see all three of them in the Bible over and over and over again. You take out one of them or you take out two of them, it's not healthy. You'll never see an example in the Bible where the person was really healthy walking with God only with them like a monk, just me alone with God. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. In the Bible, you always have other people 
And they, they would gather in the temple courts for worship. Those temple courts could hold thousands of people. They met house to house. That's people that they're talking to and sharing with. And they had their personal time with God. But it's never just, I'm with God alone. You know, I have my personal relationship with God, and that's all I need. Never, never, never. It's not in the Bible. We need one another. Number three, cast myself on God's mercy. 1 Peter 1.3 says, because of his great mercy, God has given us a new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. This fills us with a living hope. Peter had a massive failure, but he had a living hope because of God's great mercy. That's the only thing that gives you hope because we mess up over and over again. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Why would Peter say that? Because that's what he had to do himself. That's why he's saying this, because that's how he got over it. Peter, how did you get over that massive failure? I cast all my anxiety on him because he cared for me. That's so, the only way you can make it. What's he saying? He's saying, let it go. Don't hang on to that guilt. Don't hang on to that regret. It will ruin you. Let it go. We've blown it. God forgives you. Now let, let it go. Let's start moving forward. Let's not hang on to that and let it ruin your life forever. And there's no way I deserve the forgiveness. I don't deserve to be forgiven. It's just God's mercy, God's kindness, God's grace, God's love. That's why we throw ourselves on the mercy of God. We know that we don't deserve it. Praise God, he's forgiving anyway. In Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Isn't this great? Jesus said, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned back to me again, strengthen and build up your brothers. He says, so when you have repented. He didn't say, so if you repent. Because Jesus knows if you belong to him. He knows. If you belong to him, it's not if I repent, it's when. So he says, when you repent, turn back to me again. Strengthen yourself and build up your brothers. Well, what does that mean? Build up your brothers. It means you blow it. You realize it's wrong. You turn back to God and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And now you use your weaknesses to help others. Now you can use it to build up other people. Like I've said, who's the best person to help someone with an alcohol problem? Someone that's... Uh, Recovering with alcohol, having success in recovery with alcohol. Who's the best person to help a drug addict? Someone that's been there, but is in recovery and is, is having success. They understand what they're going through. Their little tricks and lies won't work against that guy because he knows the tricks and lies because that's what he used to do. They might work against me. I might be gullible and say, oh, really? Wow. But the, uh, the, the former drug addict's not gullible like me. Because he knows those tricks and lies, and he sees through it, and he's able to help the guy. So in your greatest failure, that can become your greatest ministry that you've ever had. Next, what does Jesus do with our failures? First of all, he isn't shocked. Because remember, Jesus predicted Peter's failure because, you know, he knows. God's not going to be surprised when you mess up. Psalms 103, 14 says, God certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind that we are dust. In other words, he knows 
that we're weak humans. We're frail. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that we're going to mess up. When you mess up, God's never going to go, oh, I'm shocked. How could he have done that? God's seen it over and over again with everybody in this planet. All six billion people, he sees them doing it. He's not shocked when you're one of those six billion people that do it like the other six billion people that do it. It doesn't shock him. He knows that we're going to mess up, and he loves you so much that he came to earth to die and pay off the penalty. He forgives you, and it's free for you. The forgiveness is free for you. It's not free for him. He bled and died for you to pay off the penalty. Number two, he prays for us. I find this very interesting. Jesus is praying for us right now? That's amazing. Hebrews 7, 25. Jesus is able to save us completely because in heaven, he lives to intercede. Intercede means talking to God on somebody else's behalf. He lives to intercede on our behalf. He's always talking to the Father, asking him to help us. So this is saying, we blow it, and Jesus talks to the Father. And here's what he says. We blow it, and he says, I died for that one. And God says, yes, you did. This person over here is guilty. Look at what they did. I died for that one. Yes, you did. He paid the price. You have Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus being your lawyer? Whatever you do, he said, oh, I already paid for that one. Okay, you're guilty of this, 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 and this. And then Jesus says, oh, but I already paid for that one. I paid for that one. It's like having a dad that you've got this car fine and this penalty, and you owe $1,000 for this, $3,000 for this. You did this wrong, you owe $2,000 for this. And the dad just keeps writing the checks. And he said, pay for it, pay for it. And you say, well, I didn't pay for anything. It's a free gift. It doesn't mean it didn't cost somebody something. It costs God, but it's a free gift. He's there praying for you. Number three, he believes in us. Do you know God expects you to recover? He knows you're going to mess up, but he expects you to recover. Because he said it, like I said earlier, so when you have repented and turned back to me again, he's expecting you to recover. He's expecting you to turn back. When? He doesn't expect you to stay in that sin. Proverbs 24, 16. For even though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise up again. I'm glad it didn't say this. Even though a righteous person might mess up once, he doesn't say that. He says, though a righteous man messes up seven times, he'll rise again. Seven times. So what he's trying to say is, even righteous people mess up over and over. Over and over. One of the things that is the hardest is we have those different sins in our life that we keep messing up on. You know what I mean? Like, for example, if your sin is you get angry too easily... Don't you find yourself doing that over and over and over? You're getting better, but it still happens. Or maybe if it is something like alcohol, it's still a struggle for the rest of your life. And you might go six or seven years clean, and then you blow it. And you think, how did I blow it? I have to... Because it's still there. Or let's say it's pornography. You might go month after month after month, and then something happens, and you give in to that temptation again. And you think, why am I doing this? I believe this is wrong. I don't want this for my life. But then you do it again. Isn't it interesting how that works? 
whatever. We all have those things. Maybe you're a worry wart. You know that you're supposed to trust God. You believe that you're supposed to trust God, and then you worry about it. And then you think, why am I worrying? I'm supposed to trust God. And something else comes up, and you worry about it. Think, and you meet some people that don't seem to worry. They can trust God in that area. It doesn't bother them. But with you, it's an ongoing, ongoing, ongoing losing my faith, losing my faith, losing my faith, losing my faith over and over and over again. It's funny because we all tend to have those things, that thing that just, even though we see some success in it, then we'll fail in it later on. And we think, oh, I thought I had this under control. But these habitual things that take a hold of us. Look at Mark 16, 6 and 7. The angel said, I know you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen from the dead. Now go and tell his disciples and tell Peter. Well, isn't that redundant? Because Peter is one of the disciples. Why would he say, and tell Peter? Because remember, Peter just denied Jesus three times. Peter probably doesn't think he is a disciple anymore. Peter probably doesn't believe he's a disciple anymore. You know, you have the 10 people that stayed, remained somewhat faithful to him, but I deny him three times. I'm probably not the disciple anymore. Peter needed to be told that he's included. It's like, hey, Peter, Jesus rose again. You're still one of us. He needed to hear that. If they said, hey, disciples of Jesus, he rose again. Ten of them stand up and say, yay. He had to hear his name. God knows your name when you mess up. He hasn't turned his back on you. He knows your name. He's saying, hey, followers of Jesus. Hey, Jimmy, that's you too. And I said, but God, you know, I just messed up this week. I did this and I did that. I said, followers of Jesus, that's you. Jimmy, I'm talking to you too. He knows your name. Because sometimes when you do something stupid that you regret, you feel like maybe I'm not really a Christian. And God's saying, hey, Christians, come here. That's you too. Me? I thought maybe I blew it too much. No, no, no. I'm talking Christians. That's you. He knows your name. He's not trying to kick you when you're down. He's trying to lift you back up. He wants to encourage you. Number four, he shows us mercy when we're down. He doesn't add scorn, shame, and scolding. He's showing you mercy. I'm going to tell the story. They're out fishing, and they're not catching any fish, the disciples. And they hear this man on the side saying, throw, throw the net to the other side of the boat. Who's that weirdo? We're out here all night fishing. What's the difference? And the guy keeps saying, throw the net to the other side of the boat. And for whatever reason, they say, okay, we'll throw it to the other side. Boom. They caught so much fish, they couldn't pull it in. They were afraid the nets were going to break. And then Peter looks and says, that's Jesus. He knew it had to be Jesus. He was so excited. He just ignored the fishermen who were trying to get the fish in and jumped in the water and swam to shore to get to Jesus. And what Jesus says is, go help them gather the fish in and let me make you some breakfast. That's basically the whole story. My point is this. If someone left you and forsake you when you've done everything for them for three years, you've shown them so much love, you've done everything you can to benefit their life, and you have a little trouble, and they 
spit on you because they don't want to be involved. Because you find you have they boy, when you were giving them free stuff, when you had money, boy, they were your friends. When you were doing stuff for them, boy, were they your friends. And once you get in a little trouble, boom, they forsake you. They don't want anything to do with you anymore. Are you gonna make breakfast for that guy? Hey, come here, let me. Yeah, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna put poison in it. You know, are you is that the guy that you're gonna make po- uh, breakfast for? No. What did Jesus do? Bring some fish. Let me make you some breakfast. It's showing that Jesus' mercy toward Peter never left. See, Peter was unfaithful to Jesus. Jesus was never unfaithful to Peter. Even when Peter was unfaithful to Jesus, he wants to show you mercy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies never come to an end. He's never going to stop showing you mercy. In 2 Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he, God, remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Same thing I already said. He remains faithful to you even when you're unfaithful. Then number five in your notes, he uses our failures to build his church. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when you have turned back to me, strengthen and build up your uh, strengthen and build up your brothers. He's talking about the church. He uses our failures ultimately to build other people up. Look at John twenty-one, there fifteen through seventeen. After breakfast, so it's the same thing that we just talked about. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. That's what Peter replied. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Then Jesus repeated the question. Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Then Jesus asked the same question one more time. Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter, (laughs) I was feeling bad. He, this, I mean, does he not believe me? He's feeling grieved that Jesus would ask him this a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus replied, then feed my sheep. Why do you think Jesus said it three times? Because he was given a chance to make up for the past. Three times I denied him. I'm a failure. And then three times he forces him to go the other direction. And three times he's verbalizing, no, I do love you. No, I do love you. I think the third time he totally remembered, oh, he's doing this because of my failure. And then he says it the third time. And it was really about mercy and grace. God loves you. And what does he do? Of all the people, of all the disciples... He picks Peter 50 days later to preach a message where 3,000 people in the crowd that hears it put their faith in Jesus Christ and got baptized that day. Why didn't he pick Thomas? He just had a little doubt. Why didn't he pick Matthew? Why did he pick, of the 11, why did he pick the one that was the biggest loser? It's not the one I would think that we'd pick. We'd say, okay, you're not ready yet because you're obviously a big failure. 
He picked him, the failure, the one that failed the biggest, to be the one that preached to the crowd. 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, and all of them got baptized. Could you imagine that happening here? We wouldn't have a place to put them. Can you imagine, like, what are we going to do now? How do we get these people, like, growing and developing in their faith? Matthew 16, 18. Listen to this. Jesus is saying this. This is what Jesus said. Now I say to, to you that you are Peter. The word Peter means rock, if you were to translate it like uh, the literal meaning. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Well, I've heard it said that he built the church on Peter. I've heard it said that he's talking to Peter, that he's building the church on himself. But I think there's something to this thing about him saying Peter and on this rock, using that. What he's saying is the church is built through the ministry of failures. The church was never built through the ministry of people that had it all together. The church is built through us, through people like Peter. What makes a church great? It's a bunch of people like Peter that failed that repented, and then they decided to use their weakness for good. And I think like this, what failure have you had that God could build this church with? Because he uses us. He uses our failures. What failure have I made that God can use to build this church, to make this the kingdom of God? Not necessarily this church, just the kingdom of God would be better. I've always failed in this area. It can even be things like this. I've always failed at having a quiet time, like a daily time with God. I've been a failure at it. And then finally, I, saw, I, I discovered a tool that when I started doing it like this, I started having a daily time with God every day. That used to be a failure. But when I started doing this, it started working. And then you think, well, that was the area I used to fail in. Maybe if I share what was successful for me, other people will start having a daily time with God because maybe they just didn't have the right tools. Weight loss. You know, have you ever heard someone talk about how they lost 60 pounds? Man, I hear all kinds of weight loss schemes, and it goes in one ear and out the other. But when someone says, I lost 60 pounds, I'm all ears. Because they're the living proof. They lost 60 pounds. I'll listen to that person. Because how many people have tried to go on a diet, and then you stop, and diet, and then you stop? Because it's hard, right? But if someone lost 60 pounds, I'm going to listen to them. Their failure was in the past, but they discovered a way to have success. What failure have you had in the past that you could use to build God's church? That's the mercy of God. That's God's mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we've all had lots of failures. We overestimate our strength. We live for the approval of others instead of focusing on you. Lord, what a trap that can be. We speak without thinking, and our tongue hurts people. Lord, we ask that you forgive us for these flaws that we have. But more than anything, Lord, as we get recovery in these different things, we ask that you help us to use our weaknesses for the good, ultimately to draw people to you. That those things won't ruin us. In fact, we'll use them to help others. It's in Jesus' name that we make this commitment. Amen.